0: What's going on everybody? This is Ryan Henry and welcome to 180, where we get to share amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. These stories will literally blow your mind. Follow us on your favorite podcast player, or you can visit us at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E-80 Podcast.com.
1: Today's show contains sexual abuse alcoholism and some violence but we feature a story that has 27 million books in print years ago i was talking to josh mcdowell i asked him if he would consider writing a book of stories of testimonies from all over because i wanted to read it i'll never forget when he looked at me and said that's you he's one of the reasons we're here today
0: As a university student, Josh thought Christians were lacking brain cells and just plain dorks. He would expose their weaknesses during debates, looking for opportunities to tear them up. And then some Christians at his college issued a challenge to him. Make a thorough examination of Christianity and prove us wrong. That quest led to Josh finding the truth out for himself. Josh not only became a Christian, but shared his rigorous studies with the world in evidence that demands a verdict and more than a carpenter. And he has written or co authored more than 150 books. He has been tenderly called the nation's grandpa and is one of the greatest evangelists of our time, as well as the father of modern apologetics. Welcome to Josh McDowell's 180. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to share your story with our listeners. But before I do it, we're going to turn to Chat Deck, our trusty random question generator. I want you to just suppose for a moment that all you can see is in black and white, okay? And then one day you wake up and that you find that you can see in one extra color.
2: Which color would you choose to see in and then why? Well, I would choose red because. It's my favorite color. Everything else is blasé and boring. After, uh, I mean, look at my t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like red. If I want to really be spiritual, well, it reminds me of the blood of Jesus. It's yeah. so when I put on a t-shirt, I think of Jesus. Well, I don't. I just uh, put on a t-shirt. <laughs> it's red. I love it.
0: And our listeners obviously can't see your t-shirt, but it is a very bright oh, red. Oh, that's right. It's a very bright red t-shirt and it's great. Let's just get right into your story. Would you take us back to the beginning, Josh, in Michigan and just tell us about your family life growing up there?
2: Well, it was kind of a, probably a lower middle-class family. We weren't poor at all, but we weren't well off at all. I never went without shoes, but often I went without socks. Hmm. I always say I never missed a meal, just went a long ways in between them. (laughs) But we lived on a farm. We had a farm about 170 acres, and then down the road about 30 minutes was another 50-acre parcel land that we had. So my father, we had milk, cows and all. Hmm. But growing up, there were several things I struggled with. One was my father was an alcoholic. Hmm. Hardly ever saw my dad sober until I was probably 19, 20 years old. Hmm. I thought he drank because I wasn't a son worth having a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Now it had nothing to do with that. But that's how a child can interpret things. Mm-hmm. And so I would go to school and my kids would make jokes about my father downtown making a fool of himself. And they never thought it bothered me because I would laugh in the outside when I was crying on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I never shared with anyone how much that hurt. Mm. Everybody says, wouldn't it be wonderful whole world could be like kids? No, kids are mean. Mm. Kids could be hurtful and all. And then I really loved my mother. She was a neat woman. Yeah, so Josh, could
0: you, could you talk to us a little bit about your relationship with your father?
2: It was one that I wish that no other young person would ever have to experience. But in many ways, I'm glad I went through it. Because one time I was in Julian, California, staying at the old hotel there. And we were going to be doing some filming. And I was focusing on my presentation everything for this movie. And it hit me. I know as a Christian, you're not supposed to feel this way, I guess. But I like myself. And I like who I am. I'm not what I ought to be. But I'm not what I used to be. And by God's grace, I'm not what I'm going to be. But I got to tell you, I'm sure enjoying the process, the ride. Mm-hmm. It's been a great train trip for many years. And so I am who I am today, mainly because of my mom and dad. My dad was a town alcoholic. He was almost always drunk. I have very few childhood memories of my father being sober. Now, there are times he was sober, but the times when he was drunk drunk were so cataclysmic, those are the ones you remember. Right. I'd go out to the barn. As just a little kid, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, my father would be drunk. And when he wasn't trying to kill my mother, I can still remember lying awake at night at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, plotting my father's death. What I could do the next day to kill him and not be found by the police or the police knowing I did it. And so I'd go out to the barn and he'd be passed out and I'd grab him by his legs and I was just a little kid, but he was a little small man. I'd pull him through the barn into the pen where the cows would have their calves. Hmm. And I'd get him up against the boards. I'd get my shoulder into his chest, and I'd take his arm and put it between the boards and tie a rope around it. I'd leave him there at six o'clock at night until six, 6.30 the next morning. Hmm. And I remember mean, the first two or three times that I went out there, I was so discouraged. He was still alive. Hmm. All I ever wanted for Christmas as a kid was for my father to quit hurting my mother. Mm. And I grew up believing it was my fault that my father hurt my Mm -hmm. mother. Now, I had nothing to do with it. But the way kids process things, I processed it. If only I was stronger, my father couldn't hurt my mother. So therefore, it's my fault that my father can hurt my mother. Mm. That sounds so stupid, but boy, to a kid, it was real. And so when I went off to college, I had that bitterness. I hate that resentment towards my father. I remember my 12th birthday party. It was out on the farm, 12 of my friends out there, and we're all having a good time. And then my dad drives in the driveway drunk, goes into the bushes, tore the bushes out, went up in the grass, hit the stairwell, everything, uh, and all my friends were there just laughing. I was laughing with them, but let me tell you, I wanted to die. I felt so ashamed, so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Kind of ruined the day. (laughs) But that was kind of my childhood. Yeah. But I had a lot of good things in my childhood too. I was good at sports, I was good in school, and I think I had some pretty good friends. I didn't have a lot of friends, but boy, the friends I had were good. And so when I went off to um, Kellogg Junior College, wow. "Snap Crackle and Pop" that was our war cry <laughs> from, Kell- from Kellogg's. But I was hurt. I was mad. I was just plain ticked off right. at mm-hmm. my dad, my mom, and just life. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to the university, most people never probably never caught that in my life, right? right? I became um, freshman class president, then student body president, I think it was, and, mm-hmm. all, and uh, all the time inside I was just torn up. Hmm. I have that capacity, like many people have, to be laughing on the outside when I'm crying on the inside. Mm-hmm. And was good, bad, and ugly to that. Yeah. And so when I went off to school, I was hurt, I was bitter, and I was mm-hmm. mad. If I could just also ask, um, so, you know,
0: growing up, you've got this abuse that's happening. You've got this terrible situation with your father. And so, you know, I understand things that I've read about your story as well. I mean, growing
2: up, you you were a part of a church? My mother would take me church. And when I describe it to people, what it was like, in spite of what the pastor preached, I still believed Mm -hmm. in God. If you went to that church at that time and you believed in Christ, when you left, you wouldn't. And if you didn't know him before you went there, you wouldn't want to know him while you were going to that church. Uh, It was all just social. I went to Sunday school. My mother made sure I went to church. She never went, but made sure I was there. And I used to boast, and it was partly true. The only thing I got out of church was putting a dollar in the offering, taking a dollar 25 out in chain. I made about 25 cents a week. I did that. I would actually do that. (laughs) Isn't that awful? (laughs) <laughs> and God still loves me, even though I robbed. Well, it wasn't his church. Yeah, Trust yeah. me. Jesus couldn't get into that church at that time. That hardened me a lot towards Christianity. Okay. Too. Yeah. That's what I was wondering about that. Because I know you said coming
0: into college. I mean, you were, you were not wanting to hear anything about this religion stuff.
2: I was kind of wondering yeah. how you had gotten to that point. But that makes a lot of sense. So at that college, there I saw a small group of people that were six, eight students, and two faculty, and one of their wives. And their lives really stood out. You ever seen a group of people that just stands out? Well, most people stand out because they're weird. (laughs) But these people stood out from my notice, two things in their lives. And if I hadn't had my background, I probably wouldn't have noticed these two things. One, they seem to have a genuine, authentic love and care for each other. They Hmm. really did. They seemed to really be in tune Hmm. with each other. But equal to that, the second thing I saw was they seemed to have that same genuine love, authentic caring for people outside their group. Hmm. Well, the way I was raised, that was weird. But let me tell you, I wanted it. I really wanted it. And so I made friends with them. And after a couple weeks, I was chatting with this one young lady that was part of the group. Oh, she was cute. Oh my gosh, she was good looking. And I thought all Christians were ugly. I did. I figured as a Christian, if you couldn't make it anywhere else in life, you became a Christian. I'm not joking, I was dead serious. But these people were really sharp and they had it upstairs and all. So I looked at this young lady and I put on the big front. I acted like I could care Mm -hmm. less, but I'm sure they knew that deep down in, I wanted something. I just looked at this young lady and almost in a flippant, I'll probably have to say even arrogant way. I just said, what changed your lives? This was in the first year of college. What made you so different? Why are you so different than the other students, the leaders on campus, the professors and all? and she didn't lose a beat. She looked me right back in the eye and said two words that I never thought I'd ever hear in the university as part of the solution. (laughs) Believe me, I never dreamed I would ever hear these two words in the university as a solution. She just looked back at me and said, Jesus Christ. I said, Oh, for God's sakes, don't give me that garbage. I'm fed up with religion, the church, the Bible, Christians, Christianity. I want nothing to do with it. And I just lit into her. Wow. She didn't back Mm. off. She stood Mm. her ground. And she shot right back at me. And I mean, she didn't take her eyes off me. She shot right back and said, Mr., we didn't tell you religion, the church, the Bible, or Christianity, or Christians. We told you the person of Jesus Christ. Well, Ouch. Huh. <laughs> I apologized to him. I'd really been rude. So I apologized, but I said, I want you to understand something. I want nothing to do with Christianity. I want nothing to do with the Bible, with Christians or the church. Then I couldn't believe it. <laughs> right there in the university, these students challenged me to intellectually examine two things, which I thought was a joke because I believe Christians had two brains one was lost, and the other was out looking for it. <laughs> I figured if a Christian had a brain, they would die of isolation or loneliness. But they just kept challenging me over and over again to check out two things intellectually. One, the Bible was being true and there being Mm -hmm. the Word of God, which I thought was a joke. And second, to examine Jesus Christ as who he claimed to be, the Son of God and the Mm -hmm. Messiah, the Savior. And I just laughed at him, rejected. But they just kept on. They wouldn't (laughs) give up. And they irritated me. They ticked me off. Now, don't get me wrong. What those Christians were doing was totally appropriate. I was Mm -hmm. the problem because I had stuffed all that anger, that bitterness, that resentment Mm -hmm. down into my life. And when you do that, you don't respond the right way. And when they said Jesus Christ, it was like a volcano. It all came out, all Mm -hmm. that animosity, everything. And so I said, okay, I'll accept your challenge. Oh, my gosh. They got so excited, thought they had a convert. (laughs) And I said, I'm not going to do it to prove anything. I'm going to do it to refute you. And I set out to write my first book, that huge one called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But I set out to write that book to make an intellectual joke of those Christian students and faculty at Kellogg College. And I'd made a lot of money my first two years in school. And so I left the college for six months and traveled throughout the United States, England, Germany, France, Switzerland, and the Middle East. To gather the evidence to write the book Evidence of Man's Verdict Against Christianity. I was returning back to the United States and I had to stay overnight in London, because back then they didn't have a lot of jet trips back and forth. And so I'd heard about this small museum that had a library with a lot of biblical manuscripts and scrolls, because my thought was if I could show the manuscripts and scrolls were not reliable, mm-hmm. My case was won because almost everything Christians teach is based upon the manuscripts and the scrolls, the biblical mm-hmm. manuscripts and <clears throat> biblical scrolls. And so I went down there and started checking them out, and I'll never forget. I remember sat down at one of the tables where everybody was studying, and I leaned back in my chair, put my hands behind my head, and I wasn't conscious of my surroundings. And right out loud, I just said, It's true. It's true, it's true. I remember, well, because this one woman said, shh, I mean, she said it very forcefully. (laughs) Everybody else was kind of looking askance at me. And it was there that I concluded when I said it is true, what I meant was that I could hold the scriptures in my hand, the New Testament say, and I concluded it was true that I have what was written down. Hmm. It has not been changed. Nobody took out what they didn't like, put in what they did like, etc. And I was convinced it was true in this sense that Jesus said that and Jesus did that. I wasn't convinced that what Jesus said was true. Yeah. That came later. But I first, if I hadn't become convinced the Bible was true, I never would have checked out Jesus Christ or Christianity because. If the Bible's false, it all crumbles. And so that's what I meant when I said, it is true. Right, right. And then I had to struggle with, between my mind and my will, was what was written down true? It's true that it was written down. But was what was written down true? Do you see the difference? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if what was written down wasn't true, then I could care less that what I have today is what was written down. I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid. So then I started to examine that. And there were a number of things that persuaded me. One was they wrote as eyewitnesses. It's like in Acts 1. They said, what our eyes have seen, what our ears have heard, what our hands have handled, we declare unto you. You see, today almost all Christians and many non-believers really want to know, is the Bible true? Is the New Testament true? And the first thing that hit me was they wrote as eyewitnesses or recorded eyewitness accounts. Now, historically for me, some of your best testimony is eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony is not always accurate, but for me it's probably accurate amongst any other type of testimony historically. So with the New Testament, you have eyewitness testimony. What our ears have heard, what our hands have had, we declare unto you. Today we want to know, is it true? I mean, how do we know? Well, think what it was back then. The disciples would come to the church and they'd say, look, we've got to know this for sure. How do you know Jesus said that? How do you know he did that? How do you know it's true? Why? Because they knew if they became true followers of Jesus, they'd probably be executed. They'd probably be killed. Today, in most places, you wouldn't be. And yet we still want to know, is it true? Well, back then, they, with a capital T, wanted to know, is it true? Because if they follow Christ, they could well be killed for it. So that's when the disciples said, look, we were there. We heard with our own ears, not somebody else. What we saw with our own eyes, not somebody else. What we handled with our own hands is what we are declaring to you. But the second thing that got me, and this to me is very powerful. They not only wrote and spoke as eyewitnesses, but they appealed to knowledge of their opponents concerning the facts they were talking about. You say, what do you mean? Look at Acts 2, Peter's sermon. He said, men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you. Here, these people wanted to kill Peter and all. And they said, well, you're lying. That's not true. He said, men and women of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was attested to you, not just to us. He was attested to you with miracles and wonders and signs.
1: Thanks for listening to 180. We really appreciate your likes and shares. Please consider leaving us a review on your favorite pod player. Now, back to the show.
2: And then Peter said, Which well, just you yourselves know. Now, come on, you don't have to have two brains to realize. If that wasn't true, if they hadn't seen those miracles yeah. and wonders, Peter would have been lucky to made out there alive, let alone have. <laughs> One person joined the church, and hundreds joined the church. Wow. And so they wrote as eyewitnesses, and second, they appealed to the knowledge of their listeners concerning the facts and the truth that they were preaching. Wow. And with the disciples, when they became convinced they didn't go off to Jordan, Galilee, everyone else preaching, they went right back to Jerusalem, where if Christ had not been raised from the dead, where would have been the hardest place in the face of the globe to preach the resurrection? Jerusalem! Because a 15 minute walk could show you the grave was empty or the grave was full. Right, And so that's where they went. They didn't go off to Galilee. They went right mm-hmm. back to the most difficult place in the face mm-hmm. of the earth. And so that held a lot of weight with me. And it led me to the point then of also looking at people's lives. I would meet these Christians and I would say, um, your life is so different, when did it start? Every one of them would say something like, well, when I trusted Christ or invited Christ into my life. And after a while I thought, there must be something to that because people from the most intelligent, savage to the most ignorant professor was having a changed life. And they all brought it back to the person of Jesus Christ. From the educated, the uneducated, the wealthy, to the poor, It always came back to Christ. So finally I concluded, there's got to be something Mm. to a relationship with Christ. That in different parts of the world and everything, when somebody Mm. comes to Christ, their life is changed. And so that December 19th, the second year in university, I became a Christian. Somebody said, how do you know? I was there. It changed my life. I prayed four things because I knew the Bible said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. Now, I'd never been to a Bible study or anything at that time. I had no idea what that meant. But I knew there were things in my life incompatible with a holy, just, righteous God. So I personally called that sin, found out later that's what Jesus meant by sin. And so I said, God, whatever that means, confession, I do it. I confess my sins. Second I knew that the Bible said Jesus said, But to as many as received him, to them give you the right to become a child of God. Now what in the world does that mean to receive Christ? I had no idea. And then a believer shared with me Revelation three twenty, where Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. That makes sense. If Christ has come into your life, you need to invite him to come in. That means you need to open the door to your heart, your mind, whatever. So I just said, God, I do that. I open the door of my heart, my life, come into my life. And I'll never forget saying, and be my personal, not just my Savior and Lord, be my personal Savior and Lord. Wow. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. (laughs) I didn't rush out and buy a harp. (laughs) I, I didn't sprout wings. Well, something did happen. I felt like I was going to vomit. I hear all these people say how they came to Jesus, and they were overwhelmed with joy and happiness Hmm. and all. I came to Christ, and I wanted to throw up, Hmm. because I remember (laughs) almost the moment I asked Christ to be my personal Savior and Lord, my mind started to question that, saying, Josh, have you made an emotional decision that you will later regret Hmm. intellectually? And that scared me. Also, I was very sensitive to my reputation because Mm. I was about the last person at that college to ever come to Christ. So I had to uphold my reputation. So Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be around a lot of people when I became a Christian. But I would say it took six months, a year, year and a half. My entire life changed. Wow. It was nothing staggering. I didn't see a bolt of lightning or anything. I didn't even think a whole lot about it. But all of a sudden, just things began to change without me even thinking about them. And all of a sudden I realized, well, I didn't realize, I thought, what is going on in my life? For example, one of the first things that changed, I used to have quite a temper. Somebody looked at me cross-eyed and I tried to straighten him for him. Hmm. All of a sudden I found myself not losing my temper. Yeah. And now to other people, that wouldn't be significant. Boy, to me, it was And I didn't search or seek out to have my temper changed. It just happened according to God's plan. And so when things started happening like that, and all of a sudden I realized, wow. something has wow. happened in my life. And from six to 13 years of age, I was homosexually raped. Oh I would gosh. say two to three, four, five times a week for seven years. He was hard on the farm to be a cook and a housekeeper. So my mother could work the fields, or my parents went downtown or went away for a few days. They always left me with Wayne, and my mother would always make me stand in front of him and said, now, Joss, J-O-S is what they called me then, Joss, you obey Wayne. You do everything he tells you to do, and young man, if Hmm. I get home and you've been disobedient, you're gonna get a thrashing. You didn't want a thrashing from my mother. Hmm. It hurts. And so what do you do at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, hmm. 12 years old? You did what Wayne told you to do. Finally, it was about just at turn 13, I was throwing bales of hay onto the wagons from the baler and everything. And he came up, put his hand on my shoulder. I swung around, pushed him against the wall in the living room. Whoa. And I said, if you ever touch me again, I'll kill you. Hmm. And you know... I probably would have but he never touched me again because I believe he truly believed that I meant it and I think I did and after I came to Christ two things happened one it was like the holy spirit spoke to me I needed to go and talk to my father and so I drove to Battle Creek Michigan from Union City about 23 miles and we went out to dinner at a diner and I sat across the table and said dad I've come to know Christ as my Savior and Lord, and here's why, and I shared with him. Wow. And right there, my father prayed with me to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. Hmm. Well, it was, it, was, no, it was two days after that he came into my room when he really confessed Christ as the Savior and Lord. Wow. And wow, that was probably one of the most significant days of my life ever with that. I'd been in a serious car accident, and my head was all strapped down to bed. I was on a board in bed and my arms were strapped down my legs my chest everything mm. because I'd severely injured my lower back <clears throat> and my lower neck and so they didn't want me to move in any way afraid that I'd further injure it so I'm stuck like this and my father wow. leans over and uh, accepts Christ yeah and it was so funny because I started crying but I couldn't see because I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't reach up and get the tears out of my eyes. So it was like being in the, being under the water in a swimming pool and looking up. Everything was distorted because of the tears. And I'll never forget my father wiped my tears away. Wow. They were tears of joy. But I still can picture that lying there. Hmm. And he, what, the man that I hated so much. That is when I knew, when I told my dad I loved him.
1: Did you notice this amazing part of the story right here? I just noticed this, and I had to share it with you. God sort of undid the times Josh hooked his dad up to a board by having the tables turned where Josh himself is the one hooked up now and unable to move, and it's his dad who redeems him. It's so awesome how God works like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's when I knew something had happened in my life because I wasn't used to that. And then it came to Wayne, God said, You need to forgive him. I said, no way. I want that man to burn in hell. But I knew the Bible was true. I knew Christ was real. And I knew the Bible said we must forgive. And Jesus said we need to forgive. So I drove about 45 miles away. He lived in a house trailer at a trailer court at that time. And I walked up, knocked on the door, and he answered it. Mm. And his face turned white when he saw me. And I said, Wayne, what you did to me was evil. Very evil. But I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, and I've come here to tell you. And what I told him, guys, I didn't want it to be true. Intellectually, I knew what I was going to say was true, but emotionally, I did Mm -hmm. not want it to be true because I didn't want to forgive him. I said, Wayne, I've come to one conclusion. Jesus died as much for you as he did for me. (laughs) I forgive you. And I turned around and walked away. Wow. Wow. I never saw him again. He died seven years later. But you know, if I hadn't been obedient and gone and forgave Hmm. him, it would have haunted me to this day. The power of forgiveness. I meet these people that hate their dad and find out he died 10 years ago. And I said, isn't that interesting? Your father is dead Hmm. and he still controls your life from the grave. How stupid can you be to let someone, anyone, let alone somebody who has died, control your life? Yeah. No one is going to control my life except Jesus (laughs) and my wife. I hope in that order. But that's the story of how I dealt with some of these things in my life. And it's the power of forgiveness, whether my father or Wayne who sexually abused me for years. Josh, I so
0: appreciate you just like opening up on it. Obviously you've had time to heal from that and um, uh, and it, it could be hard for listeners, especially in this world that in the culture that we're in, which is very, very justice heavy. And uh, I'm all for justice, but what would you say to anybody who would say, how could you forgive him or he really deserves hell? And, and wh- what would you say about that? Because that's an emotional thing. That's a hard thing to hear what happened to you.
2: Well. I would probably say this, which I said to myself way back then. How can I not forgive Wayne when Jesus did? Because if I fail to forgive anyone, then I'm saying I have a higher standard than Christ has. Whoa. And hoo-hoo, I don't want to say that. I had no good feelings about it. It was by faith. I didn't have a good rush of emotion in my life and sure. a joy. I need to do this. It's the right thing to do. I just did it out of obedience that it was the right thing to do. And so I did it by faith. I love
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. So Josh, ask a question. What would the Josh McDowell now say to the younger Josh McDowell before
2: you accepted Jesus? what advice would you give? Probably what the pastor of Factorville Bible Church said to me when he came to the home of a young lady I was dating from the church to see me. And uh, he knew where I stood and everything. He never had any education or anything, but he had wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge in a righteous way. And boy, did he know how to do that. And he said, Josh, check it out intellectually. At least if you reject Christ... why you're rejecting it. He didn't say, if you believe in Christ, you know why you believe. No, he said, if you reject Christ and walk away, at least intellectually know why. Well, boy, that appealed to me because I thought, yeah, man, pastor, I'll really put you to shame and everyone else. And I'd probably say that to someone today. Intellectually, check it out. And if you reject Christ, at least know why you're rejecting it. I don't think intellectually could have some good reasons to, but that's what I would say today. I always tell people, check it out with your mind before you check it out with your heart. I challenge you to check it out intellectually. I really do, because you might have the same experience that I had. When intellectually, I finally concluded Christ not only claimed to be God, but he had the evidence to support his claims. And I would say that was the biggest surprise of my life. When I knew intellectually, I was wrong about Christ. And maybe you will have that same experience of finding out that you are wrong about Christ, no matter how smart you are. Wow. Wow. I mean, I've been doing this almost 60 years now and giving 27,000 talks. Hey, folks, thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks,
0: Josh. Yes, Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, It's very, very clear that your life has just really impacted so, so many people. And so we are just thankful for the Lord, for your testimony, for your willingness to come on and and be with us. God bless.
2: Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to 180 today. Help us spread good news like this on social by joining us on Instagram and share this show with a friend. It might be the best news they hear today. Today's send off is from TC Boyd the Artist, who did a rap about Josh's life. Please enjoy.
3: suicide was something i thought of thank god i didn't achieve it so much pain you wouldn't believe it who am i why am i here I needed something to believe in, thought church might help, but religion only made it worse. If God is so good, why does this world have hurt? So I turned to knowledge, wanted to be the best in college. I would debate any Christians and shut them down in an instant. Professors didn't like me because the questions that I choose. I thought prestige was what I needed, so I tried to be cool. A popular guy on campus, a leader in a party or two, but all of this left me empty still and needed some truth. Then some Christians whom I considered to be unthinking weaklings seem to be so happy that it really got me thinking so I challenged their beliefs what's the source of their peace they told me not religion but Jesus was all that I need I refuted but they concluded I haven't looked at the evidence challenged me to intellectually examine if Jesus claims were irrelevant challenge that they gave I didn't know would change my life this is my journey on how I finally came to Christ can I begin again can I find a life made new I'm on the quest for knowledge will lead me to you can i begin again i'm on the search for truth i've been traveling down this road all i'm seeing is you can i begin again can i I begin again Yeah. during school i decided to some time off, to travel Europe's historical libraries to prove Christians false, but the more I started digging, I then started seeing, that the claims Jesus made, man, they were really intriguing, the writings of the Old and New Testament, I just couldn't beat, I found them the most reliable in all of antiquity, despite my efforts to refute, I then started to conclude, that Jesus was not a myth, he is real and he spoke the truth, plus the scriptures gave answers to my biggest questions, which include, who am I, why am I here, what is my purpose? And destiny too It took a while for me to commit But I finally committed I said a simple prayer one day And I finally admitted Saying thank you Jesus for dying on the cross for me I confess those things in my life Displeasing to you please I ask for your forgiveness And please cleanse me of my sins I open the door of my heart So Lord go not and walk in After some time I started changing Feel more relief and peace My bad temper got better And my anger finally started to cease Then one day filled with compassion I told my father that I love him And I forgive him And I believe that Jesus is really thinking of him My father said if God can change my life Like he did yours Then I want to trust in this Jesus as my savior and lord my dad's life didn't change he never drank alcohol again for the rest of his life he served jesus until his very end i share my story because i know so many people are searching one of the reasons i wrote evidence that demands a verdict some people have been mistaken taught lies for ages when you research without bias though you find jesus is the way it's truly remarkable he is who he said he is anyone humbly seeking will conclude as i did there was only one god one faith that leads to eternal life and that path is truly only found in christ you can begin again you can find a life made new you're on a quest for knowledge god lead them to you you can begin again you're on a search for truth you've been traveling down this road god let them see you you can begin again
1: 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.